Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monoreal Radio, episode number 29. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And we are back this week to discuss the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh. I know this is this was one that means so much to so many people, whether you watched this film, whether you watched the Saturday morning cartoon, I don't know anybody that didn't grow up with Winnie the Pooh. Yeah, and I think Winnie the Pooh kind of just extends beyond Disney. Yeah. This is ingrained in your childhood, whether you're a Disney fan or not. Yeah, I agree. And, he's, and he transcends generations. It's amazing. Like, Pooh is just always there. Yeah. And and everybody was raised on him, and everybody's known the stories. Um, and... I, I we watched this. You know what? I I can't say that this was a staple in our house, because this is actually made up of three vignettes, like mini stories. And years later, they put it all together to make one longer film. Um, but Blustery Day and Winnie the Pooh and Tigger Two were two films that we had in our house. It's funny because Pooh and the Honey Pot, which is the one that opens the film, I didn't see really until a few years ago. That's funny because I never saw Winnie the Pooh and Tigger 2. We had Honey Pot and we had Blustery Day. And I think they were taped off the TV. I don't really remember. They were definitely staples in our house, though. But I never really, I only knew them as shorts. I never really knew them as part of a greater film. Yeah. Um, but these films are a lot of fun. You've got fantastic music in them because the Sherman brothers come back at least a little bit yeah. for a few of these. Um, you want to just get right into it? Yeah, sure. Let's do it. Let's go. The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh is based on the characters in a book of the same name by A.A. A. Milne, which I'm hoping I'm pronouncing right. Uh, it was released in 1926 and in Disney's adaptation, it combines together the three shorts as we mentioned and they are linked by a narrator. So Pooh wakes up one day with a rumbly in his tumbly and realizes that he is out of honey. So he forms a plan to go straight to the source. With the assistance of his friend Christopher Robin, he rolls in mud to disguise himself as a little black rain cloud and floats with a balloon up the honey tree, which of course angers the bees. After the bees chase Pooh away, he goes to visit Rabbit and cleans Rabbit out of honey, only now he is too large to get out of the burrow. He must lose weight, which tries his patience and Rabbit's sanity after the rest of their friends in the Hundred Acre Wood try and get him out of Rabbit's hole. After many long days stuck in Rabbit's house, Pooh finally moves, and his friends in the Hundred Acre Wood come to free him. But they do too good of a job, and he shoots out of Rabbit's home and gets stuck in the honey tree once again. Pooh doesn't mind all the honey, but he's in the next story, heading to his thinking spot on a blustery day. He runs into Gopher, who cautions him to leave because it's Wednesday, and Pooh goes to wish everyone a happy Wednesday. He runs into Piglet being blown by the wind and saves him by grabbing Piglet's scarf. Pooh flies Piglet around like a kite, running into the rest of their friends and leaving destruction in their wake. They finally land at Owl's house, and while Owl is telling them stories, the wind takes his house and it collapses. Christopher Robin comes with the others to inspect the damage, and Eeyore volunteers to find Owl a new home. That night, the wind is still going strong, keeping Pooh awake, and when he goes to investigate a scratching noise, in bounces Tigger, who tells him that heffalumps and woozles are going to steal his honey. This idea gives Pooh nightmares when he finally does find sleep, and he is chased by heffalumps and woozles in a dream. He is woken up by a flood as the windstorm has changed to rain. Piglet is not faring much better and sends a message in a bottle for help. 
Pooh, who has rescued his honeypots, comes to Piglet's aid again, but the rising water carries both of them away. The others are safe on higher ground at Christopher Robin's house, so Christopher Robin sets up a rescue mission just in time for Pooh and Piglet to wash up in his yard after plunging down a waterfall. Christopher Robin throws Pooh a hero party for saving Piglet, during which Eeyore announces that he has found Owl a new home, which turns out to be Piglet's home. Piglet sacrifices his house for Owl, and Pooh volunteers for Piglet to live with him, and the one-hero party becomes a two-hero party. All of this fun is too much for Rabbit, who wants to put a stop to Tigger's bouncing, especially after Tigger ruined his garden. Rabbit devises a plan to abandon Tigger in the woods, and then go find him the next day, recruiting Pooh and Piglet to help him. The joke is on Rabbit, because Rabbit is the one who gets separated and lost. After getting separated, Pooh and Piglet run into Tigger and tell him of Rabbit's plan, and Tigger goes to find Rabbit. So the bouncing continues, and now Rue wants to play. Tigger and Rue bounce through the woods, but go too high and get stuck in a tree because Tigger is afraid of heights and won't admit it. Pooh hears Tigger's cries for help and mistakes them for a jaguar, so he goes to get Christopher Robin. And when Christopher Robin goes to investigate, he realizes that Tigger needs help. So he forms a rescue, and Rue is able to jump down from the tree with no problem. Tigger is still stuck and promises to never bounce again and begs to be narrated down from his predicament. Once he is down from the tree, he is relieved, but he's miserable without the bounce. Rabbit recognizes his misery and goes back on their agreement. So then Tigger teaches everyone to bounce. The fun can't last forever, though, because it's time for Christopher Robin to leave, and he must say goodbye to his friends. He walks away with Pooh and promises to always remember him. What sticks out to me, because you just talked about it here at the end of the movie, the relationship between Christopher Robin and Winnie the Pooh, it's so special because it's playful and it's fun, mm-hmm. but it has so much heart. Yeah. Um, and I think that in, in more so than any Winnie the Pooh film or television show that we've ever seen, I think that it's really on display here. And what's impressive to me most about that is you have these three films that were made, I mean, within eight or nine years of each other. I mean, they weren't even made that close to each other. Right. Three different actors playing Christopher Robin, one of which was Clint Howard, actually. I thought he was Rue. Oh, you're right. He was Rue. He wasn't Christopher Robin. But my point is still the same. You have three different actors playing the same role, and it's so cohesive throughout. Yeah. And... What really ties it all together, I mean, you have your classic open where it does start with the book in Christopher Robin's nursery. Uh, nursery, I mean, I guess it's his, more of his childhood room. He's not that that young. It's like a playroom. Yeah. So you have Pooh with the book, but I love how they used the book to tie it all together. It's one of the things to me that makes Winnie the Pooh so funny is that they're so aware of the book and the way that they use the narration and they talk to the narrator. Uh, And I just love how it brings everything together because otherwise the stories, you know, it would be kind of hard to link them. Yeah. I, I love how they go from page to page and they break the, you know, they, they break the fourth wall when they go page to page, like they're, they're calling themselves out on it. Yeah. And it goes from like the hand-drawn book in and out of the scenes. It's it's just really cool. It's so well done the way that they did it. And the narrator is the same actor who voiced Bagheera in the Jungle Book. You know, he is very familiar, but I didn't realize that. To me, he kind of sounds almost like John Cleese a little bit. I know it's not John Cleese, but that that was kind of 
who it reminded me of. And Sterling Holloway, of course, is playing Winnie the Pooh, who also played Cobb. We've talked about it on the show before. Um, Walt Disney recycled a lot of his voice actors. And we talked about it when we reviewed The Jungle Book. It's funny when you hear the same voice, because there's no difference between the two of them at all. But it's such a, a stark contrast between Ka and Winnie the Pooh. You know what's funny, though, is when I hear Ka, I expect him to ask for a small smackerel of honey. But when I hear Winnie the Pooh, I don't hear him asking to trust in me. Yeah. I guess Winnie the Pooh is like the dominant figure in my mind. Right. I guess it it depends. I guess it's that's a person to person sort of thing. Like, what's your preference? Like, I know him as Winnie the Pooh, but sometimes I can't help but think Ka. I think, yeah, it does say a lot about who you are as a person, whether you think it's an evil snake who wants to strangle a boy or just a hungry bear who wants some honey. Yeah. Um, let's start with the script and and kind of take it from there. In spite of the fact that these are three completely different stories, and in spite of the fact that you kind of can watch this movie in any order, I do think that you still get a cohesive story. Definitely. In spite of the fact that they were made so far apart from each other. Right. Especially when you think about uh, Winnie the Pooh and the Honeypot and Winnie the Pooh and Tigger 2. There's also a lesson within each of them too. Yes. We, we've mentioned before and we'll continue because I think that it's something that's a consistent, especially in these classic Disney films, that they never shied away from teaching children a lesson. This was more than just cartoons. Absolutely. Um, and what is amazing about this is a lot of this was done after Walt Disney had passed away and you wouldn't know. It still feels like the type of film that would have been made while he was alive. Um, and there there are a couple of things that sort of stick out to me. Um, and I don't know that it's good, bad, or indifferent in this case, but... Did you notice that no one really seems that upset that Owl's house is destroyed in a blustery day? Even Owl kind of doesn't care that much. Yeah, everybody is just kind of like, meh, whatever. It's like, oh, the house is destroyed. We'll find you a new one. It just, I I understand you're not going to create that much drama in a children's film, but... It's still a house. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's... I, I don't know. I just, I feel like it's so blasé and it is, it's a little foo-foo. It, yes and no, because I think that is the whole Winnie the Pooh thing is that they have each other and they always help each other. So I guess they kind of figure, they're just going to figure it out together. Mm-hmm. Um, the characters really are phenomenal. And the thing is, These stories, there's not much to really discuss in terms of the script because you laid out the plot and that kind of is what it is. Like these stories are very basic. And and a lot of that comes from the fact that they're little vignettes. But I think of all the films that we've reviewed so far, this is probably the one that is the most geared towards little children because the stories are not complex at all. They have dramatic elements like Owl's house falling, even though it's not really all that dramatic because nobody seems to care. 
and of course the flood, but even that's kind of fun and silly, and Heffalumps and Woozles, as trippy as it is, again, is kind of silly. It doesn't, it's, I, I mean, I'm sure that there were children that were afraid of that scene, although I don't know that I've ever met one that was. Certainly nobody I knew that has seen the film was afraid of it. So I feel like the premise of this film in totality is kind of simple. It's not until you get to the very end of the movie that you see sort of that coming-of-age moment when Christopher Robin, for all intents and purposes, is saying goodbye. They say he's leaving, but you never... It's implied that he's going away to school, but they never really come out and say it. Right. You see more of that in in the live-action Christopher Robin film, and they sort of pick up where they left off, but... It's still a very heart-filled moment, but other than that scene, there's no real dialogue or scenes that are all that powerful. I don't know. I I disagree. To touch on what you said before, uh, that it's kind of simple. I mean, it, it definitely is, but... It's funny to me because when you have extreme circumstances like losing a home or a flood, yeah, they do treat that as blasé. I definitely agree with you there. But what's funny to me is that other situations, they'll escalate. For example, when Pooh gets stuck in Rabbit's house, he went over to have some honey for breakfast. And yes, he eats a lot of honey. We know this. And they show him going through about 12 pots of honey. And... It's a play on gaining weight. And I guess, you know, if you're going to look into the cautionary tale, it's don't overeat. But who's there for a matter of hours? He's not going to put that much weight on. And yet he still gets stuck. And that's just funny to me because, and that's the comedy in Winnie the Pooh, because now you've got this situation that goes to the complete extreme. But yeah, you lose a house and it's like, whatever. Yeah, that's true. Um, so I kind of I kind of like how it goes back and forth like that. And I love how the dialogue is like over the top silly, but you're right. It's still, for such a light movie, it packs a total punch at the end. Like to me, it's amazing how such a feel-good movie ends on such a downer. And it's one of, probably like one of the saddest things. Like to me, it's, I guess, the equivalent of Thanks Partner at the end of Toy Story. I don't know that it's quite as powerful as that, but I think there's also because what made that so powerful is because, number one, there was, what, a 15-year build-up to that moment? True. And that was a moment that sort of tugged at the heartstrings of our generation because not only did we grow up with the Toy Story films, but we all at that point, being in our mid to late 20s, we had all had that saying goodbye to our toys moment. When you grow up. And as an adult, the end of this movie is sad. But to me, it's more because you still wish that you were this age doing nothing. Yes. You're just going to do nothing. Well, what does that mean? It means you do nothing and you do it. And your biggest concern is playing with your toys. Because I think what I like most about this film is that Christopher Robin, in theory has created all of these stories in his mind, Mm -hmm. but he mostly plays the moderator. He doesn't make himself the focal point of these stories. He's not the hero in the middle of it. 
That's an interesting point. You know, it's like I think we all had, you know, toys that we played make-believe with. You know, when I was a kid, it was Ghostbusters and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and I had them on their missions, and they, they fought their villains, and... I had the WWF action figures and I had the ring and they used to I used to stage pay-per-view events and you know it was we all had that moment and or m- many of those moments I'm sure and I think that's part of what makes this film so beloved and so relatable and I think that's also why it transcends generations because for all intents and purposes Winnie the Pooh quote unquote ages well yeah I think it's it's something that's appreciated by people of all ages because when you're a small child watching this, there are characters that you like. The animation is wonderful. The songs are great. Um, and I, as you get older, it's A, something you were raised on, so you have that appreciation for it, but you also connect with what's happening. Right. And as an adult... By and large, most adults had toys and stuffed animals and that they played games with and they created a, a, a world around. So this is something that everybody can enjoy. I've, I'll put it to you this way. I've never met anybody that did not like Winnie the Pooh. Oh, yeah. you got to be some kind of sociopath to not like Winnie the Pooh. And I've also not met anybody that wasn't raised on it. Like... You know, let us know on Monoreal Radio, uh, or, or at Monoreal Radio, I should say, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Were you raised on this? Or were you not raised on it? I think I'd say nine out of ten people that I know had that Winnie the Pooh stuffed animal. Yeah. Or at least had one of the characters. Right. No, and if you weren't raised on it, what what were you raised on? What were you doing? Well, I'm sure there was other Disney. and And I wonder sometimes, with the younger generation, how much of this is still present in their lives because it was different when we were growing up in the in the 80s and in the 90s we mentioned it before you had the many adventures of winnie the pooh the television show we were still watching this film they were still showing these these vignettes on television as their own little half an hour specials i don't know how much of that is still present in the year as we stand right now, 2019. But I do know that anytime we go to Disney World, um, there's always a line at the Winnie the Pooh attraction. So clearly, for a franchise that, for the most part, hasn't had a lot going on for it in the last 15 years, they're doing something right. Or they did something right, at least, when they made this film. No, and it's funny because... That's not a ride that we grew up on. That's something that came in later on, and I still love it now. I mean, I was not happy that they took away Mr. Toad, and I like that there's still the little nod to Mr. Toad in the tree. But um, I still enjoy going on the ride. Like, I think it's clever how you sit in the honey pot. And this is, we're talking more about Florida because there are differences uh, to the one in Disneyland. But in Florida, I love how the honey pot moves within each scene that you're in, like especially when you're with Tigger and you bounce like him. Yep. Um, or when you're floating in the uh, flood scene. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it just goes to prove your point that that is a ride that is clearly made for children and I enjoy it. Uh, yeah. That's one where I don't mind. I don't understand 
and and this is going to upset a lot of people. I was I'm sure. Say unpopular opinion. Here I, it comes. I, I don't really get the hype of Peter Pan, the ride, Same. the movie. Yeah, sure, yeah. love the movie. I don't know why that ride has a 90-minute wait. Every time we go, and it was the same thing out in California. I really don't get it. But I'll wait a half an hour to go on Winnie the Pooh. Right. And I'm a 32-year-old man. (laughs) And I'll wait a half an hour to go in the honeypot. Yeah, I mean, some things like when Snow White was still a dark ride and Peter Pan, you appreciate it because of the kitsch. But this, I just like it for what it is. Yes, and I think a lot of that is because it reminds it reminds me of this film. It reminds me of watching this as a kid. And it does a really great job. I'm only kind of realizing this now of, I mean, of course, all the rides want to tell a story. But because Winnie the Pooh is so heavy on the book and it plays in with the narrator, this is such an extension of that idea. And it really does put you into the book. Mm-hmm. I think, like I said, there, there's very little about the script that stands out to me as this groundbreaking film. But other than the end scene, I think what this movie accomplishes in terms of its dialogue and its overall general message is that it preaches generosity. I think it preaches being unselfish. I think it, 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 it really does put brotherhood on the first and foremost. I think it, I think it it certainly promotes love. Mm-hmm. Um and I think that's what makes the film special. It's not it's not like a film like I don't know. It, it's it's not like in say um Cinderella where you have all the shirts that say a dream is a wish your heart makes. They, like that, that you don't have anything like this that comes from this film. People know like the song Heffalumps and Woozles. Mm-hmm. They know what the characters are, but it is, there's not that one phrase. Maybe silly old bear, but that doesn't mean anything. I think the quotes from the book are actually more popular than quotes from the film. Like there's the one... Um, something to the effect and I always mess this up but it's one of my favorites um if you live to be a hundred I want to be one day less so I don't have to live a day without you something something to that effect yeah uh to me I mean that's that's like a heartbreaking quote but it's it's also very heartfelt right um and I'm surprised that they didn't put something like that in the movie they kind of do at the end when he's saying goodbye Um, And he's asking Christopher Robin if he'll remember him. Um, But that's something I wanted to touch on, too. What's interesting to me, and I'm not sure if I'm drawing this having seen the live action Christopher Robin or because it was done in that era. This seems more than just Christopher Robin is going away to school because even though, yes, the message is that he's he's growing up and he's saying goodbye to his childhood, he's still going to come home. He's still going to have a summer. And the implication here is that he's never going to see them again. And the only way that they're going to exist is in his memory. Um, so I'm kind of wondering if that has to do with like this war era mentality of everyone had to grow up fast. Mm-hmm. And it's not just that he's going off to school and he's growing up but 
it's that he's being forced to move on from this. And it's it's more than just growing up. It's like you're going to become a man now and you have to leave this behind. And I think that's what makes the end so sad as well. Mm, that's that's an interesting theory. And, and you might be onto something there. Unless you have anything else to say, I think now is as good a time as any to move on and, and discuss the characters here because that's that's what really makes the movie special. We'll talk about the songs in a few minutes, but it's the characters that I think are the reason why this film has lived on for as long as it has. I agree. I think it's the characters and the dialogue that really make this movie what it is. I know you said you didn't feel like there were too many memorable quotes uh, which I do agree with you on, but every character has a thing or a silly word or phrase, and I think that's what makes this movie stand out. Right. And they do banter back and forth very well together. You could tell that they've been together for a very long time, or at least in the mind of Christopher Robin, they've been together for a very long time. It's very natural. Yes. And Christopher Robin, we talked about him before. I don't have much else to say about him other than he's relatable. I do want to circle back to something you said before that um, he doesn't make himself the hero of all his stories, which is interesting because he is always the one that's being sought out to rescue them. But you're right. He never, uh, you know, puts himself on a pedestal. He'll come to their aid, but it's usually always someone else who's the hero of the story. Right. Um, he's more there to give like a suggestion than to actually act out what has to happen. Exactly. Um, Winnie the Pooh is just so endearing. I think that you see it from the minute he shows up on the screen and he just kind of loves himself for what he is. He appreciates himself for what he is. And he's just out there to have fun and be lazy. I mean, who doesn't want to do that? And I think that where you kind of get a bit of a character arc with him. Not that you necessarily needed it per se, but when he gives up his share of the hero's party and splits it with Piglet, Mm -hmm. I think that not only does it teach children a valuable lesson, but it also goes to show how generous he is. Because up to that point, I don't want to go so far as to say he's a selfish character, but... He's glomming honey off of rabbit. He's scheming how to get honey from a beehive. And other than obtaining honey and eating, he doesn't really have a motivation to do much else. So I thought that this was really important for him as a character. He takes the easy way out is what it is. He wants the shortcut to whatever it is that he wants, whether that's honey, whether, well... Most of the time it's honey. But uh, I'd go out on a limb and I would say that Pooh is probably the most lovable Disney character second to Mickey. Uh, yeah, he's up there. I he's think it's top five. pretty hard to find fault with Pooh. Yeah, he's he's definitely in the top five. There's no doubt about that. He does remind me of Mickey in a lot of ways too because, you know, we're talking about always taking shortcuts and I think what a lot of people don't remember about Mickey is in those really early shorts like how mischievous he was right um so it's i guess kind of reminiscent of that in a way mm-hmm. i think the thing is with all of these characters and i'm just going to say this now because otherwise i will say it for every character we describe 
what makes them so brilliant, and I think part of what makes it age-appropriate for everybody, is that you know somebody who is just like every single one of these characters. We all know a Winnie the Pooh, somebody that just wants that easy way out. We all know a piglet, somebody that's just nervous all of the time yeah. and paranoid. Yeah. We all know a rabbit. A somebody stick in the mud. Stick in the mud, borderline neurotic. OCD. Yes. But hangs his clothes out on the line during the winter. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, and the one thing about Rabbit that I don't like is just how mean he is to Tigger. Yeah. All of the time. I understand, and we all have a Tigger, somebody that is the best of intentions, but is too much. You got to kind of rein them in sometimes. Yeah. And we all have that person or maybe a couple of people where, let's be real, when you're when you're in Stop and Shop and you got your shopping cart, you're going down the aisle and you see them turn the aisle, you go, oh no. And you try to avoid them. As much as you like them, you try to avoid And anybody that says you don't, you're lying. Um, <laughs> everybody has that. Tigger is that person in Stop and Shop. You know, they're great foils to each other, Rabbit and Tigger. Not that you need to present conflict in this movie, but um, yeah, that was an interesting thing for me upon this viewing was, um, you know, Rabbit is neurotic. You know, he's OCD. I always found that kind of annoying, but I never realized how out and out mean he was. I mean, he devises a plot to go leave Tigger in the middle of the woods so that he gets lost just because he's bouncing. Right. But Rabbit gets his comeuppance. Yeah. <laughs> and I was really glad to see that because th that's what I was talking about before is that, you know, you treat flooding like it's not a big deal, but Tigger's bouncing and you're going to go leave him to die in the middle of the woods. For all intents and purposes. Like that's, and that's the humor in this is that it just goes to such an extreme. Yes. Where Rabbit is redeeming though is he is a little bit humorous. Like to me, the funniest part of the whole thing is when Pooh is stuck in the rabbit hole and he draws the moose on his butt and makes it part of his wall decor. And I mean, part of that plays into his OCD and he's like, if I'm going to be stuck with this thing, I'm going to make it aesthetically pleasing. But there's nothing funnier to me than when he's drawing the moose and then Pooh manages to mess it up. That was actually Walt Disney's favorite part of that short was that one scene. Oh. So. I feel special. Yes. So good on you for picking <laughs> that one out. But it, it's funny. It, it is it, very it's funny. It's obvious. It should be a favorite, you know? Yeah. I like Gopher because I think Gopher's Me funny too. in general, but I, I love how union he is. <laughs> yes. I wouldn't have used that word exactly to describe him. Like, that's not my initial thought because I always, I love how he's always falling into his own hole. Yes. But he's always, he just, he has that, he has that presence and he has that attitude. When I was working for the New York Islanders, I'll never forget this. We used to have union carpenters who worked at Nassau Coliseum and union electricians that worked at Nassau Coliseum. I know you know. Okay. And we used to do this fan fest on the concourse before home games when 
well, not that a lot of people showed up because the team was really bad at the time. Um, we would need to plug in these big inflatables, mm-hmm. like a bounce castle and an inflatable slide and a jungle gym and like a slap shot machine. Sure. And I remember one day, it was literally two minutes before FanFest was supposed to open. And I went to go plug in an extension cord, not knowing that I was not allowed. I was not allowed to plug in an extension cord at Nassau Coliseum. Because some guy said, that's a union job for an electrician. And I said, well, where are they? And they said, we're standing right here. And I'm like, well, could you please come plug this in? Because this is starting in two minutes. And they said to me, we are taking our union-mandated 45-minute lunch break. And I said, okay, but this starts in two minutes. I need my inflatables up. We are taking our 45-minute union-mandated lunch break. I'm like, when is it over? We are taking our union-mandated 45-minute lunch break. So me... Being 19 and angry, maybe I was 20, so even saltier saltier than I was at 19, plugged in the extension cord because I didn't feel like hearing it from the team. Right, right. You would have thought I set the building on fire. You just took a union job. I'm like, I plugged in, I plugged in an extension cord from Ace Hardware. <laughs> While you're on your 45-minute break. 45-minute union-mandated break. And I'm not saying this to insult anybody that, that is in a union, but that was just like one of the most outrageous moments I had working for that team. And in a time where working for that team, there were a lot of outrageous things going on. But No, I will but, back but that up seeing... because I too worked at the Coliseum, not for the New York Islanders. I was on the concert end of things and the unions were no joke. Like if if as it happens, I mean hockey and kids shows, you can imagine something spills all over the floor. If you had napkins and you were trying to be a decent human being and clean up the spill, like nope, nope, we got to get janitorial to do that. You you could not move outside your department. Yeah. Um, so that's gopher. And I knew 25 gophers, (laughs) but none of them fell down the hole when I needed them to. I was going to say, sometimes you wish they would. (laughs) There were, there were a couple of them. Um, but I, I, I think of all the characters here, the ones that are the most forgettable. And I hate to say, cause it's not that I dislike them. It's just that they don't really move the needle for me are Kanga and Rue. It's mother and son. You've seen it. You've seen it with Mrs. Potts and Chip. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's nothing to me about them that stands out. Um, I wouldn't say that. I mean, I think Kanga's very nurturing, not just to Rue, but to everyone. Um, and I think Rue's adorable. I'm not saying that I don't like them. I'm just saying that, to me, they are secondary characters. In comparison, they don't have, like, a thing quite the way that everyone else does. Like, even, for example, like, Piglet's Neuroses. One of my probably second to rabbit drawing the moose on Pooh is when Piglet sends out his message in a bottle. And it says, help Piglet me. And he actually writes in his stutter. And, like, that's what I'm talking about with the humor in this movie. Right. I think that's hysterical. 
But you're right. Kanga and Rue don't have something that stands out quite in the same way. No, they're not like Eeyore. God knows we all know Eeyore. We haven't even gotten around to Eeyore yet. Yeah. We all know an Eeyore. Some of us know many Eeyores. Some of you call them a cat lady. <laughs> it, you know, I, I think of all of the characters in this, in this, in this franchise, not just this film, but in this franchise, the one that I appreciate the most is poor, self-deprecating Eeyore. Self-deprecating is putting it mildly. He's manic depressant. Yeah, kind of. And maybe it's because I feel bad for him that I appreciate him so much. But but he never... You know what it is, though? Where the writing is brilliant, and a lot of this is kudos to the actor that played him, is, you're right, he's borderline manic depressant, but he never takes it too far to the point where you're actually sad. Right. And I I think that in a weird way, he's almost the most relatable. Not to say, you know, you don't want anybody to feel miserable about themselves, but I'm I'm talking about that like just my luck attitude. Like for example, when his he just finishes his house of sticks and then Pooh and Piglet come crashing through this is when uh Pooh is flying piglet like a kite and they crash through the house and it's just like eh typical i so many characters specifically in sitcoms from the 80s and 90s i don't want to say they were modeled after eeyore but they were those perfect foils where no matter what they did almost as soon as they got something done it would be negated or destroyed or right. something in their pit picture perfect home you know like how many times in alf did the parents like oh we finally got that picture on the wall and alf would throw a baseball through it right right or uncle jesse not to that extent but how many times would he would like get his hair just perfect and the kids would come tackle him or some yeah, nonsense yeah, or, yeah. or uncle joey in full house yeah God knows Danny Tanner without question because he had that house that was he was that neat freak and someone would spill the soda. Sure. <laughs> you know, like there there was and and a lot of the times too like you can just see like in the introduction to any of those films like someone would be so happy and they'd be like, "Oh, I'm about to eat my sandwich." And someone would knock it out of their hands and they'd get that off fooey look on their face. Yeah. Yeah, like really over the top that caricature just overacted and cheesy and corny this plays into those characters this is in a more sad way when you think about the big picture right that was more funny but it goes back around to what i said earlier this was really good because it towed the line it never went too far one way or the other right and i think what happened to Eeyore was sometimes funny, but his reaction never was because you did genuinely feel bad for him. Where where you felt okay to laugh about it was because he was so deadpan about everything. Yes. Um, and Owl. I think everybody has that stoic person in their lives. But the but he's stoic, but at the same time at the same time he, he kind of pontificates about nonsense. That's what I was gonna say, is everybody knows someone who won't shut up. <laughs> 
yeah. at a really inopportune moment. I mean, the guy's house is falling down and he's still ta- he's telling the story about his uncle. I know. I love it. Because the, the, there are those people, and, and I get that way sometimes, where no. I could be in the middle of a conversation and the phone will ring and you'll be on it for an hour. That That's a pet peeve of mine. I don't like to not finish a conversation that I start. I have literally picked up a conversation with somebody three and a half hours after I started it to literally say one sentence. Because unless I've said it, that conversation has not ended. Therefore, it's still ongoing. I don't know why. It's, it's, it's a big problem for me. I have to be able to finish a conversation I start with somebody. Maybe because I just don't like leaving things unfinished to begin with. To make a short story long. Basically. <laughs> that's you. Yeah. And that's fine. I'm an owl. <laughs> what do you want? Um, let's talk about the music. Yes, let's do. A lot of this was written by the Sherman Brothers, and I didn't know that, actually. Not until Un- this time, yeah. Not until this latest viewing, but when you hear the lyrics, especially the lyrics to, like, the song Winnie the Pooh. I was mildly embarrassed. When you listen to the lyrics, <laughs> it's so clear, because when you hear a Sherman Brothers song, there's a certain whimsy, playfulness, and a certain amount of tongue-in-cheek yep. that comes, and creativity with their lyrics. They're very creative with their lyrics. Um, and similarly to you, I was sort of embarrassed that I didn't know that until now. Yeah. But it, it, For but, the Disney aficionados we consider ourselves to be, we should have really known this. But it explains perfectly yeah. why this music transcends the generations. There is one song in particular where we really should have gotten it. And it's funny because as a kid, I almost didn't know what I was hearing because there were so many made up words. And I was like, wait, did I really just hear that? Um, It's when they finally get Pooh unstuck in Rabbit's out of Rabbit's house. And, um, you know, they're they're saying things will make the poo unfatter. And I thought I was a lunatic when I was a kid. And now that I know it was them, I feel much better about it. But like, I actually did hear what I heard. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. The blustery day. That entire... That entire scene is iconic. And it's classic. Um, The Heffalumps and Woozles song is... I would say, I'm not going to go so far as to say top five, but I think top ten most important songs in the history of the Walt Disney Company. Oh, that was my jam when I was a kid. And you want to talk about a song that should stand out to you as, oh yeah, clearly I should have known who wrote this. Exactly. Um, I love that whole sequence. I mean, it's it's trippy. Uh, it kind of reminds me of Dumbo Pink Elephants a little bit. Um but I just love the animation. Did you catch that in that sequence? Um, Pooh, it's a pop gun, but he has a shotgun. Mm-hmm. You'd never see that nowadays. No. To defend himself against the woozles and the heffalumps. Fun fact about heffalumps and woozles. Um, I was redoing my room and Disney put out the line of paint colors. Like six years ago, seven years ago. 
No, it was like longer. It was way longer than that. Sorry, maybe eight years ago. More like ten. You remember it the way you remember it. I'll remember it the way I remember it, but carry on. Well, regardless, I knew I wanted like a bluish purple shade. And I went in the store, I saw the Disney line. I was like, I have to have something Disney. And the color that I found, it was the perfect shade. It was exactly what I wanted. It was a blue purple, but it was called Heffalump. And that's what put that decision over the top. That song is brilliant because it has a deeper meaning than elephants or heffalumps, I should say, coming after you. Really, what that song teaches you is, in a weird way, beware of the things that you are afraid of. Because if you don't take them seriously, they could bite you on the butt. That and one of the lyrics is... They guzzle up the things you prize. I think part of it, too, is, you know, again, that cautionary tale of, you know, protect what's dear to you. Right. And be careful who you trust. Which, yeah. In Pooh's case, it's honey. And as a kid, you know he loves honey. So it really doesn't resonate all that much. Right. Um, one of my other favorites is the rumbly in my tumbly. Uh, I think that's such great character development out of the gate it's the first song that you hear it introduces us to Pooh, and it establishes the whole character oh when he goes to do his stomach exercises the up ground touch the ground puts me in the mood yeah, yeah. and heffalums and woozles actually does kind of bring that full circle because yes, he's established all he cares about is honey and now the honey's you know threatened of being taken away from him the song that for whatever reason in spite of the fact that it's not the most iconic song it's the song that they sing about the rainy day when the rain, rain, rain came tumbling down. Mm-hmm. As a kid, that was the song, that was the sequence, uh, sequence, I should say, that stuck out to me even more so than Heffalumps and Woozles. I don't know why, but I, I, anytime I see this or anytime I hear that song, I just remember being five years old and watching my Winnie the Pooh videotape. I think it's the earworm quality. Of that song. I also think it's because Heffalumps and Woozles, because it's become such an iconic song for Disney, you hear it in the parks, you heard it in sing-along tapes, you heard it in TV specials. That song about the rainy day really only exists in that sequence. You know what's funny, though, is that the real iconic song is Tigger's song. Right. Because that's what won them... An Oscar. Right. And I think it won them a Grammy. I think it won them a Grammy, too. I want to say. No, I'm sorry. Maybe that was the Grammy and the Blustery Day got the best short for an Oscar. I know know Walt got it posthumously. For the Blustery Day sequence. But the song, the Tigger song, got them a Grammy. That's what it was. Yes. Which is, I, I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love the song because I love the company, but I have the unique feeling they probably did not have a lot of competition in 1974. Yeah. <laughs> when that, certainly not the, although I think it's different now, not the competition that you have in modern cinema because I think a lot of those songs, not even that they're, guilds, they're are geared specifically towards children, but a lot of those radio, a lot of those songs, they try to make them into radio hits. 
Yeah, I don't know that that's what the intent was of this song, but to me, I, I mean, it's great. It's a fun, upbeat song, but this is, you know, just as much tied to the character as Pooh's Rumbly in My Tumbly. Right. Um, especially because, you know, like the like I said, it's fun, but um, how Tigger ret- refers to himself in the third person, too. Yes. That's what I love about Tigger, and, you know, it's just so funny, and they they introduced that right out of the gate in this song. What I always laughed at is that he says the most wonderful thing about Tiggers and he talks about it in plural, but then he says, but I'm the only only one. one. And he always is like on the hunt for another Tigger to make sure that he is right. Like he sees himself, his reflection in Pooh's mirror right away and he has a meltdown over it. Yeah. Because he thinks it's another Tigger, even though he tell you he's the only one. Um, and that's really it in terms of the music. I mean, the score is nice, but this for all this isn't a musical. There, there's just a couple of quick songs here, but I'd say that they're all, for me at least, they're all memorable. They're not the two iconic songs that we've pointed out, but I do think that they're... I think that the whole thing stands up. I don't, there's nothing about this movie that feels dated. No, I still enjoy it just as much. I mean, like if I'm going to sit down to watch a movie, it's probably not going to be my first choice to put on. And that's not because I don't like it, but because I want like a beginning, middle, end story. Um, so I definitely think that what you said before about this being geared towards children is accurate. Like if I if I want to see a story, you know, I'm going to put on The Little Mermaid. I'm going to put on Coco. I'm going to put on Wreck-It Ralph. I want a story story. Um, so that's why this wouldn't be my first choice. But that's not to say that I like it any less than I did when I was a kid. So let me ask you this, because we just reviewed Alice in Wonderland a couple of weeks ago, another movie that you can kind of watch out of sequence and not necessarily be lost. Do you prefer this vignette film or Alice in Wonderland? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, what's ironic is that this film probably has more nonsensical words, but Winnie the Pooh makes more sense. Um, reason being is because, like we talked about in the beginning of this episode, I only had the first two. I had uh, Pooh and the Honey Tree and I had Blustery Day. I didn't even know. I, I mean, I knew the title Winnie the Pooh and Tigger 2, but I didn't know that story. We must have had different VHSs because I had the Blustery Day and Winnie the Pooh and Tigger 2. I didn't have the honeypot. I'm pretty sure mine was taped. So that would also make sense, too, if they did an hour long on TV. Right. And I only got two out of the three of them. Um, so I think for that reason, because I only had the two... And it still made sense without having that third story and without the ending of Christopher Robin leaving. Um, Yeah, it probably makes more sense to me than Alice in Wonderland. But, I mean, my memory is also clouded because after we did the animated, we're talking about two weeks of Tim Burton remakes, and that, that made me foggy. I think for me, given the choice between the two, if I'm going to sit and watch a film... Between the two of them, I would probably pick this one. Only because for all of the reasons I pointed out before, 
in regards to what this meant to me as a kid and how I get nostalgia, not just for being a kid but and watching the film, but also I'm kind of living vicariously through the eyes of Christopher Robin, mm. which also makes me feel like I'm living vicariously through my younger self. And I very much appreciate that. That's where I think for me, I kind of gravitate towards this one. Who's your favorite Pooh character? <clears throat> like have to pick one. That's tough. I um, I waxed poetic about Eeyore an awful lot, but I, I think it would... And it's it's cliche, but I think it would have to be Winnie the Pooh just because he cares. I mean, don't get me wrong. He wants his honey and he very much has tunnel vision when it comes to it. Mm -hmm. But I think at the end of the day, he cares so much about those around him in a very simple and childlike way that you can't help but find him endearing. What about you? Let's let's how about I'm going to I hold up that mirror and make you think about this. Well, yeah, I figured this was coming. Um as as a kid, it was always Eeyore actually. Um cuz you really felt bad for him. Um and I feel like out of all of my memorabilia, I have the most Eeyore stuff like I had Eeyore pajamas I have a coffee mug that I've had for years and years and years let me tell you something a Disney coffee mug is a great purchase those things don't break um knock wood watch me break one now um yeah I mean you can't help but love Pooh um and he represents all of them um so I feel like I would kind of gravitate towards saying that now but yeah growing up it was always Eeyore I, I just think that Pooh represents the everyday person in a weird sort of way. Or at least yeah, he represents what we, that's it. He represents what we all want to eat and do nothing and just have fun and go about his day very carefree. He really does live the perfect life, doesn't he? Other than maybe Jack Sparrow, <laughs> I don't know of another Disney character that lives a more perfect life. Except the difference is he doesn't need to worry about being hanged or being shot or being stabbed. <laughs> or a curse, yeah. So he's probably, he might be the one of the greatest Disney characters of all time. If you want to be anything in the Disney canon, you might want to be Winnie the Pooh more than anyone else. Yeah, I mean, I can't say that I wouldn't disguise myself and roll around in the mud for tacos. Fair enough. We're going to turn that question on you. Um, number one, who is your favorite character in the Winnie the Pooh universe? And uh, maybe we'll ask the other question, too. Um, do you think that Winnie the Pooh is maybe the tops when it comes to Disney characters that you'd like to be? And if he's not, who is your pick? You can let us know on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Monoreal Radio. Uh, while you're on any of those sites, we also have something really cool for you. We've had some fun giveaways in the last couple of months, but... This one's our best so far. I think so. As some of you know that follow our social media, we were fortunate enough to go see 
uh, Frozen on Broadway. Yeah. If you're in the New York area or even if you're not, get here and go see it. I expected great things and it completely exceeded my expectations. It was amazing. Yeah, it was it was really good. I'll say that. I thought it was really good. Full disclosure, I thought Aladdin was better, but but not I wouldn't even say it's a 1-2. For me it was like a 1A 1B. Like they were so close. Yeah. And I think actually what made Aladdin better wasn't so much the entire show so much as it was the actor that played the genie. Yeah, he was great. He was the one that he was he was an original cast member. He was the first person to play that part. And he's good. I don't even know his name, but I know that he's good in everything because that's not the first time that we had seen him in a show. We saw him in Memphis mm-hmm. and he was excellent oh my God, there too. He was so good. That guy just steals the show. But anyway, Frozen on Broadway, great. Go see it. Bring money. It's expensive. Uh, not just, it's expensive everywhere. But we will save you some money because we do have something for you. Yes, we do. We have a playbill signed by multiple members of the cast. Uh, the two young girls that play the young versions of Anna and Elsa. Uh, the actor that plays the Duke of Wesselton. Um, the one that plays Hans. And the one that plays... Kristoff. And, and oh, and traveling, or uh, traveling, wandering Oaken. Yes. <laughs> traveling Wilbury, wandering Oaken. Yes, and that was everyone who didn't snub us. Yeah. I'm, I'm throwing a little shade. Uh-oh. I will, <laughs> I will give a pass because it was Valentine's Day. I understand you got family, you got kids, you want to get home. but some princesses were up on their high horses. And didn't look at you as they left the theater and just got in their car and left. So here's the thing. If I walked into either one of them at the grocery store, I don't know who you are. No, like I'd expect that from Idina, but she can get away with that. But she didn't. That's my point. Yeah, that's the other thing. We met Idina Menzel stage door when she was doing If Then, which was literally like a year after Frozen came out and she was a global phenomenon. This was after Frozen Frozen hype did not die down at all. Because this was not only after the film, but this was after, what did Travolta call her? Adele Dezim. Adele Dezim. Like, people knew her from that because it was such a huge flub. Like, she was, I'd say, for a time, maybe not a, a huge window, but I'd say for a small window of time, top five most famous people on the planet. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And she stayed and signed autographs for every single person. There had to be 200 people there. She was very, very impressive because I had heard some mixed things about her, but she was the sweetest and she signed for all the kids first. She made sure that the kids got their autographs first and then she came back around. She got everybody. And, and it was raining. It was raining and it wasn't just playbills. Like there were kids walking up to her with stuffed Olafs, with with copies of the movie, copies of the soundtrack. I'm talking about not, not the show that she was in, Frozen. You would think that they would be like, eh, guys, no Frozen stuff. But we met Jim Parsons, and it was the same thing. People were bringing their copies of The Big Bang Theory. He signed for everybody, took pictures with everybody. Right. But I don't. But these, these two, literally with their heads down, looking at their phones, wouldn't even look up and say hello to you. Like I said, you get a pass because I understand why you want to go home to your family on Valentine's Day. However... If they wouldn't have purposely, like, had their heads in the ground and ran into the car, if they just would have given, like, a little weight. And I'm not even saying to me. Like, I'm not that offended. But, like, there's kids, you know? 
And there's families who just spent a lot of money to come and see this show. Like, just acknowledge their presence. Yeah. I met Mariano Rivera two weeks ago and he had a conversation with me. Who are you? <laughs> Sorry. I've, I've, I'm, I've, I've had my moment. I've had my rant. Yeah, no. I, I'm not insulted, but, like, do the right thing, you know? Yeah, at least for the kids. I don't care about exactly. me. But do it for the little ones. They, because for some of them, see, here's the other thing. For some of them, their parents probably don't have the money to take them on a trip to Disney World, but they can afford a $49 ticket to go sit in the last row, and these kids get to meet Anna and Elsa. Right. Albeit in blue jeans and a sweatshirt, but they can meet Anna and Elsa. For some of them, their impression of Anna and Elsa is, I don't want to talk to you. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah. No, and that's the thing. When you have a Disney contract, you kind of have to recognize your lot in life. Right. You have to own that. You met David Hyde Pierce. Right? Like, you can rattle off a ton of people that you've met at Stage Door. So I was really surprised, especially because this was a Disney thing. Is it, now, is it possible that there was, for security reasons, I don't know, did they get mobbed once by psycho children and moved them out now? I don't know. But I just was very surprised because I've never, not that I go to a lot of Broadway by any stretch. I know that you do, but I've never experienced anything like that from somebody who wasn't a star. Right. So that was my point. Yeah, it, it was an attitude. And, you know, I'm disappointed on behalf of our listeners because we got you almost everybody else. So we have the autograph, the semi-autograph playbill for you, the 99% autograph playbill. And uh, we also have a frozen souvenir cup. Yeah, it's not a Tervis tumbler, but it's a, it's a travel mug. It's a travel coffee mug. Listen, I didn't spill my frozen drink. Yes, we did, not have, we did not have coffee in there. And the closest thing we had to water in there was the ice. Um... But they were $30 cocktails. We're going to give you the cup. Because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, what did we pay for? Was the cup that says Frozen the Musical. We got one for you. So, how do you enter? Very similar to how we've done all of our contests. Like our Facebook, Instagram, and or Twitter, you get one entry per like per page. Like all of the contest posts, you'll get an entry for each like. Share the contest uh, post, we're going to give you an entry for each share. Subscribe to the podcast, five entries. Rate and review us on your favorite podcast provider, five entries. Rate and review us on our Facebook page, five entries. So if you have not done any of those things yet and you want this prize pack, this is a really, really easy way to get a lot of entries for a really cool prize. Right, and the entries are important because we're going to run this contest for about two weeks and then everybody's entries go into a hat and we pull a winner at random. So the more entries you have, the better your odds are. Yes, um, and we can't wait to give this one away. I do think that this one is going to be a lot of fun and that contest is going to run until Sunday, March 17th at 11.59 p.m. So you have until 11.59 p.m. on St. Patrick's Day to get this done. And then we will be pulling our winner on our show on the 19th. Yes. Um, so, hey, thank you guys so much for joining us today. We always appreciate you coming in and tuning in to us on Monoreal Radio. www.monorealradio.wixsite.com slash home. Wonderful sponsor, wonderful partner over at Amazon.com. Hooking you up with the links, to the Amazon instant, uh, instant streaming video for every film that we review here on Monoreal Radio. And if you want to go see Anna and Elsa in the parks, because I'm sure they will give you a picture, get in touch with me, j.zolezzi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I, at MagicalVacationPlanner.com. And you're going to need a fast pass for Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Montreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies. The stuff dreams are made of.